Hello and welcome to The Catch. I'm Matt Hansen, freelance editor with FindBet.com, joined as always by writer and contributor for FindBet.com, Brad Mealy. We are bringing you the 12th installment of this series where we will discuss everything going on in the world of sports that we can fit into 60 minutes. Throughout this series, we will cover a range of topics, including sports betting and fantasy, along with keeping up with current events, trade rumors, and more. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FindBet underscore news and on Instagram at FindBet, just one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. All of our newest content can be found on FindBet.com. This week, you can find out who to drop, who to shop, and who went off in fantasy football. Later this week, you can find NFL DFS start and sit recommendations, along with betting advice for week 13 in the NFL. And I think what we'll do this week, Matt, is we'll kind of just start and go with almost an overview of how uh, week 12 went for a lot of NFL teams. Um, And in fact, as we're recording this tonight, there's still one game that needs to be played. The Steelers and the Ravens are going to play this afternoon at 340. Um, So we're still technically in week 12, but I think that we can look at some of the results from the games uh, this past week and uh, through Thanksgiving and kind of see where teams are at going into the, the final stretch of the season. Um, so let's start with the Thanksgiving game. Uh, the Cowboys and the uh, Redskins, who we knew was going to be uh, a, not a great game to watch anyway, but the Cowboys just basically gave up um, – against the Washington Redskins. And you have to wonder at this point, is Mike McCarthy's job in jeopardy after just one year of being with the Dallas Cowboys? We're at a point now where McCarthy had, a, had a, a, an excellent run in Green Bay. Uh, he won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. Um, but things eventually, he fell out of favor with Rodgers and they went their separate ways, took a year off from the NFL, and then was hired by Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, which – was not supposed to be met. It was not supposed to be a rebuild. Um, so we're at a point now where the Cowboys are three and eight and they are completely, you know, obviously they're still in contention for uh, the NFC East crown, which is ridiculous, um, <laughs> but they are able to, we're at a point now where Mike McCarthy is almost finished with his first year. They've had injuries. Dak Prescott has not been uh, – obviously, he broke his uh, ankle there early on in the year, and, and they've had injuries on the offensive side of the ball as well along the offensive line. Um, but what do you think, Matt? Is Mike McCarthy in jeopardy of losing his job after just one year as a Cowboys head coach? I mean, I think we've talked about this before, and, you know, obviously in personal conversations, I know we have, but uh, even on the podcast, I think we've discussed McCarthy in the past, and, you know, it was, it was a puzzling hire to me to begin with, because I, I look at what he did in Green Bay, not as a success by any means, but I think McCarthy was somebody that was really holding Aaron Rodgers back, and um, even though Rodgers was still spectacular during the time that McCarthy was there, um, and, you know, they, they were able to win a Super Bowl, that's because Aaron Rodgers is really good. I think what you've seen with Mike McCarthy since he's gotten to Dallas is the same thing that you saw in Green Bay, where it was just a lot of good players, if not great players, propping this guy up. But as he's running the same offense, even though the league has changed, 
And I think that, you know, now that Dak has, has gone down to injury, ever since then you saw what kind of a coach he really was because we've seen teams across the league deal with not only injuries, but COVID-19 uh, designations, taking players out unexpectedly. And you look at a team like San Francisco, who has, I mean, I think it's something like 11 or 12 starters that have either been injured throughout the season for long periods or hit IR. Um, and Kyle Shanahan's been able to keep that team relevant and still competing deep into the season in one of the most competitive divisions in the league. Um, so for McCarthy, I think that he absolutely should be on the hot seat. I mean, it's it's tough after one year to really get rid of a coach because that type of, of, of turnover is not good for continuity when you're talking about needing to have uh, players on the same page and you're having to learn new systems and new schemes and, you know, they're going to bring in new people and get used to new coaching staff. It's a lot to, to go through, you know. In Cleveland and Buffalo, you know, our teams, we've seen that uh, up until recently. Um, and it really throws your organization into chaos. So even though it's probably not the, the best thing to be yeah, uh, letting go of a coach after one season, in, in Dallas's case, I think it might be for the best, um, unless Dak Prescott really likes McCarthy and it would be a, a, a sticking point for him to re-sign in Dallas. I don't see any other reason to bring Mike McCarthy back. And I honestly think it might be time for Dallas to be thinking about uh, blowing it up and, and trying to reset that team. Um, you know, they're right now, I think, projected to have the number five overall pick uh, in the upcoming draft if the season ended today. Um, that should be good enough to get them one of the top three quarterbacks, um, move away from Dak Prescott and that projected $40 million a year that he wants, maybe try to trade uh, Ezekiel Elliott and get rid of that contract. But they obviously need to build the defense back up because – Yet again, on Thanksgiving, uh, we saw the defense let them down. You know, they went in. Uh, it was a close game going into the fourth quarter, uh, and then 21 points go up on the board. Um, the defense not being good enough to, to get stops when they needed to in the fourth quarter. Um, and that's been something that we've seen from this Mike McCarthy-led Cowboys team all year, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with a lot of, of things there. I think he's definitely going to be on the hot seat. Um, we just wonder how much um, – Jerry Jones is going to be upset with the way the year has gone uh, because of the injuries and because of the way the defense has played. Um, let's quickly touch on the other uh, Thanksgiving game, uh, the Texans and the Lions. Um, obviously, Houston came into uh, Detroit and basically just blew them out on Thanksgiving, which has kind of been the norm for Detroit over the past five or six years on Thanksgiving. I don't know when the last <laughs> time they actually won a Thanksgiving game was, but um, One of my favorite Thanksgiving Day actually, traditions. Yeah, and that led to uh, uh, Matt Patricia and um, the Lions GM to be fired after that game. So yeah, Bob Lions, got fired too. Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're at now as the Lions join a, a bevy of other teams that are going to be looking for head coaches this year, um, and from there, who do you think would be a good head coach? Um, for the Lions going into 2021 and the rest of uh, rest of the years? Well, you know, that's a really good question. There are, a, I think, a lot of good candidates out there. You know, I, I would pick uh, one, though, that it just blows my mind that he's not already a, an NFL head coach, and that's Eric Bieniemy of Kansas City, the offensive coordinator there who obviously has done an okay job um, at, at getting that team uh, up to snuff on the offensive side of the ball. But – 
when you look at the Lions, I really don't think that they're that far off. I think that Matt Patricia was that bad of a coach. Um, but the thing about the Lions is they have a quarterback. Matt Stafford is somebody that has always been able to put up numbers. And now that he has a receiving core that includes Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, uh, there's some legitimacy there. It looks like TJ Hawkinson is developing into a pretty good uh, pass catching tight end at the NFL level. And they have a bevy of running backs that they can kind of just plug and play. Um, so like on the offensive side of the ball, they're probably two offensive linemen away from being pretty solid on a week to week basis. Um, but defensively, they're a mess. Um, it's going to be a really tough build um, because in that division, you have Minnesota and Green Bay to look up at. Um, so it's not going to be an easy climb to the top of that division uh, just by inserting a new coach. Um, but for me, even though the defense needs work, because the offense already has pieces there, I think that the enemy is, is the best fit uh, for them. Do you have uh, any other options out there that you think might be a better fit, Brad? I think that's actually, he's going to be the top, head coaching candidate, I think, going into the offseason this year just because of what he's done in Kansas City as the offensive coordinator. And it seems like everybody that Andy Reid touches, whether it comes uh, from an assistant coach or his coaching tree, seems to be much more successful as head coaches in the NFL than Bill Belichick's coaching tree. Um, if you can name a successful head coach that came from a Belichick coaching tree, um, there's maybe one, and, and you and I don't know if you even want to call it a success, a success because he ended up leaving his head coaching job, but it was Charlie Weiss when he went to Notre Dame. He had some successful years in Notre Dame, um, but you can't consider Romeo Cornell to be a success, even though he's had a couple head coaching jobs and is currently the interim head coach in Houston. You look at uh, Josh McDaniels and his disaster in Denver, um, You've got two that are in the NFL right now that just came from history and Brian Flores and Joe Judge. Flores looks like he could be another one that could be one of the first successful head coaches in the NFL with what he's done in um, Miami there for the Dolphins. Absolutely. Um, so the big thing with that is Biennemi, I think, is going to be highly sought after, not only because of his success that he's had developing Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City and being under Andy Reid, um, but because of that pedigree as well. Um, and just coming out of the news today, um, it sounds like John Dorsey and Eric Bieniemy are going to be paired together as the head coach GM combo um, to go to their team. So you could see uh, John Dorsey and uh, Bieniemy in Detroit. Um, I, I think Jacksonville is going to have an open spot, especially with uh, Dave Caldwell, the GM, being fired a couple weeks ago. Um, Doug Marone is just coaching, you know, for his last his dignity really right now. Um, and then you're also going to see uh, the Jets as well, I think, have at least a head coach opening. I don't think that they're going to uh, fire Joe Douglas for what Adam Gase has done on the football <laughs> field. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he's going to be the most highly sought-after head coach, head coaching candidate going into the 2020, 2021 year. And he's basically going to have the pick of, of the job that he wants from there. Well, the team that we were talking about uh, whooping the Lions, the Texans, could also be a, a landing spot for Biennemi. And, and there you have a young quarterback in Deshaun Watson who I'm really happy had that Thanksgiving Day performance on the national stage because I'm a huge Deshaun Watson fan. 
it's a travesty what Bill O'Brien and that organization had left him with uh, after getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and the preseason trade. Um, but I still think that he's one of the few guys in the league that can really put a couple of wins in the wins column for his team by himself. Um, you know, the, we, we watched him and what he did against your bills last year in the playoffs and the guy can just do some special things that not a lot of people can do. Um, reminiscent of a, a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers. And uh, that would also be an interesting spot to see what the might be able to do uh, with someone like Watson. Now the John Dorsey news, I'm a little lukewarm on, um, you know, he, he, his time in Cleveland was good and bad. Uh, you know, he's definitely going to be known for the guy being the guy that traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. Um, but then he's also going to be known as the guy that drafted Baker Mayfield number one overall um, when, you know, people like Josh Allen were also in that draft. So um, I don't know what's your take on that. Cause for me, you know, it's too close to me, you know, John Dorsey and, and some bad blood with him. Uh, <laughs> after his departure from my brownies. Uh, so so what's your opinion on Dorsey? Do you think he's someone that, you know, especially going into a situation like Houston where they've already bled a lot of their future draft stock, um, is Dorsey the kind of GM that's going to be smart enough to maneuver that team uh, to be at the top of that division again? Yeah, I think that Houston is going to be one of the more coveted um, head coaching jobs just because they have their quarterback of the future there. Um, you don't have to draft somebody or take a chance on on drafting somebody. Although Trevor Lawrence, uh, the Jets' job might be um, appealing just because of the ability to get Trevor Lawrence and, and the type of prospect that he is. But, yeah, I think 100% I would agree. Deshaun Watson has proven himself to be a franchise quarterback. And really what he just needs is he needs an offensive coordinator and a coach to get out of his way and just let him do what he's good at. Let him – scramble in the in the backfield and make plays uh, with his feet to help keep drives alive and help keep plays alive because he's able to evade that first or second um, pass rusher and just allow him to – I think the Thanksgiving game showed just what he can do as a dynamic player in the NFL. So, absolutely, I think from there the Texans are a good spot for Deshaun Watson. Now, when we talk about John Dorsey and his candidacy, I don't know if he – is the right guy for the job. I think he made some really good draft picks in Cleveland. He obviously brought Nick Chubb in. He brought Denzel Ward in. Um, he made the trade for Odell Beckham Jr. Mm -hmm. um, he signed Jarvis Landry. Uh, those are all excellent, you know, moves. But at the same time, he's forever going to be um, looked at for him drafting Baker Mayfield. And he's going to be kind of tied to Baker Mayfield's success there in Cleveland. Now, obviously, Mayfield has taken a step back this year compared to where he was in uh, 2018 and 2019. Um, but I think that, you know, like we talked about before, he's going to have to – if he goes to Houston with the enemy, he's not going to have to worry about drafting a quarterback. But anywhere else, he's going to have to draft and develop that next franchise quarterback – and, you know, with his track record, I'm not sure if he has the ability to be the type of GM that maybe some teams want him to be. Yeah, that's concerning to me, uh, the enemy tying himself to Dorsey like that already. I mean, obviously, 
I mean, everybody knows that he's going to be the hottest coaching candidate out there. Um, so to be kind of uh, tying his name to Dorsey's after not the best departure in Cleveland. Um, I don't know. It's just a little odd. But I guess if you have to get Dorsey to get the enemy, then I would still make that move if I'm Houston, Detroit, whoever it is, New York, uh, the Jets looking for a new coach. So, uh, but yeah, it will be interesting to see. And uh, it'll also be interesting to see what this Kansas City offense is going to do uh, down the stretch here because it looks like they're really catching fire at the right time. And, um, and it looks like they're really determined on repeating uh, as Super Bowl champions this year. Um, a good win this week against uh, Tampa Bay uh, this past week, 27 to 24. Uh, Mahomes had 462 yards, but he wasn't even the story of this game, Brad. Tyreek Hill. 269 yards on 13 catches and three touchdowns. You want to talk about a fantasy MVP. I mean, that's like in contention for, for best week of the year. I think that's better than any of the weeks that Devontae Adams had, wasn't it? Yeah, he's had the best week of the year for uh, a fantasy wide receiver um, so far. Um, I think, yeah, I'm not sure what Tampa Bay's defensive plan was or uh, what their I what they thought they were going to be able to do by guarding him one on one the entire game when he just continued to burn him and I mean Patrick Mahomes just basically said hey thanks and he just continued to um, pepper Tyreek Hill with targets uh, yeah and, and I had the pleasure of actually going up against Tyreek Hill in two of the three <laughs> leagues that I was in this week so um, that was exciting uh, I think that a uh, little bit of a humbling experience I guess so um, yeah. You know, the, the Chiefs are, have pretty much cemented themselves, I think, as the basically the team to beat if you want to, at least in the AFC, if you want to get to the Super Bowl. Um, now, it's a week-to-week -week league, and things can happen, and a team can have a really good game plan um, for uh, one game. You know, it's not a series like it is in the NHL or NBA or MLB. Sure. So um, that will obviously play a role. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when you look at this was kind of just a crazy week in general for fantasy performances. If you want to look at some other ones, you've got Antonio Gibson who had three touchdowns on Thanksgiving. Um, you've got uh, Deshaun Watson who had four touchdowns on Thanksgiving. Um, Nick Chubb had a really good day. He had 144 yards and a, and a touchdown for the Browns. Um, and when you end up playing a team that has every single one of those players on their team, you end up losing by 100 in fantasy football, which is what happened to me. So um, it was just a, it was a crazy week for, for performances. Um, and, you know, you have these weeks every, maybe not necessarily every year where there's a week like this where things just go crazy, but there's, there's these type of performances, especially in the NFL now where it's past first that just kind of blow you away um, and make you cringe if you have to uh, go up against that type of performance. Yeah, and also the performances that you leave on the bench, Brad. I left Latavius Murray on the bench this week, and he had 124 yards and two touchdowns, I believe it was, and it was a week I definitely needed. Um, hanging on to a very, very short rope um, that is my my playoff hopes in our Dynasty League, and um, it's not looking too good for me. It was a good start to the season, but terrible finish. Yeah, the Lamar Jackson, he's just got to snap out of that funk. And, and obviously he's not playing this week because of COVID. But it's uh, 
It's going to be an interesting fantasy playoffs, that's for sure. So, Boy, Lamar, I was in such a bad <laughs> spot this week. Such a bad spot this oh, week. I had to pick up Fitzmagic, and he was an okay replacement, but not enough. What, let's move on to uh, – let's kind of go over uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, who to drop, uh, who to swap, and, and who popped this week in fantasy football. Um, so I'll let you kind of pick it up here. Uh, Ariana this week says it's time to drop John Brown. Uh, do you agree or is Brown still a, a bench stash that's worth for if you are heading into the fantasy playoffs and you need some extra depth? I mean, I'm honestly going to disagree with that because Brown was so good last year in the primary role. And I understand that Stefan Diggs eats up a ton of targets and he's eaten into a lot of the production that, you know, we saw Brown uh, benefiting from last year but ultimately with all the injuries you know I'm holding on to anybody that I think might be able to put up a big week at any given time and John Brown's one of those guys because when you're in an offense where Josh Allen's your quarterback you never know who's going to have the big day um, you know, we've seen Gabriel Davis kind of step up and ascend into a more prominent role in the offense as the season's gone on. And Cole Beasley's had a couple of big games. Um, and obviously there's Diggs, who's basically like concreted in at like seven catches and like 75 yards and a 50-50 shot at a touchdown every game. So like, you know, that production is already gone. But I still look at Brown as somebody that all it takes for someone like John Brown in an offense opposite of Stefan Diggs is for one play where the safety help doesn't come over and he beats you for a 60 yard touchdown. So, you know, if I'm looking at what depth I have on my roster, if I'm extremely rich at receiver, maybe I would consider dropping John Brown at this point in the season. If I need to pick up an, an, an additional running back or something like that for depth, um, but I'm not dropping Brown. Um, I mean, you're the Bills fan, so maybe you have some better insight on it than me, but that's my take on it. I wouldn't drop John Brown. I think that it's going to really depend on what your situation is. If you need to win um, now, like you you don't have a first-round bye by the time he comes back, because by the time he comes back from injured reserve, it's going to be week 14, uh, week 15 even. So that's the semifinals or the preliminary rounds of the playoffs, uh, fantasy playoffs in most leagues. So, um, I, you know, I'm going to side with, uh, with her and say that it's probably time to drop him unless you have a direct route into the semifinals or, or have a great matchup into the finals um, with, your, uh, with your opponent. Um, it's really going to depend on matchups too because uh, the Bills will be playing. They play the 49ers this week. Then they play the Steelers on Sunday night football the week after. But then when John Brown will come back, which will be week 14 or 15, uh, which would be week 15 is what I'm thinking that he'll be back. The Bills have the Broncos that week. So the semifinal round of the playoffs, that's a, that's a defense that is very beatable. And it's somebody that if you have a wide receiver that, ha- that doesn't necessarily have as great of a matchup um, when it comes to defense, uh, he could be somebody that could be serviceable in your lineup. But – as we talked about before, you've got quite a few players that have stepped up in his absence. Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Stefan Diggs is always going to get his nine or 10 targets a game. Yep. So there's, I, I'm not sure how much there is to go around. He's risky, but is it could be a good gamble because of the matchups that he has over the, the last two weeks of the year. Yep. You never know. That's one thing people should always, I mean, I think, you know, you and I, Brad, are probably cognizant of it. And, you know, your your more serious fantasy players are cognizant of it um, before your fantasy draft even happens. But like, 
if I'm between a couple of guys, one tiebreaker for me always is going to be, you know, what weeks 13 through 16 look like for, for that team and how I project their matchups, because, you know, that's the money time. You know, there's no guarantees you can get to the playoffs, but once you get there, you want to give yourself every leg up that you can. Um, and looking at, you know, what your perceived strength of schedule matchups are for those players are going to be important because you don't want to be having to play <clears throat> some of your best players against defenses like Indianapolis or Pittsburgh or Baltimore um, in those, in those playoff weeks. Yep. A hundred percent. I think when you're into the, especially the late rounds of the playoffs, you have to look at matchups more than you have to look at what a player's done for you the entire year. Um, and uh, that's a great point for sure. Um, so let's take a look at uh, who popped this week for uh, fantasy football. And that would be Jarvis Landry. My um, boy, Jarvis. Yep. He's, he's got some of the available. best cleats in the game. <laughs> he's still available in 23 and a half percent of ESPN leagues. Um, and obviously that's a little bit surprising just because he's the number one option right now for the Browns offense. Um, and Arianda goes on to talk about, he really hasn't had the best season. Um, no, but his hasn't. week 12 performance has been one of the best ones to date. And he might be peaking at that right time. Um, the nice thing is, is he's going to face the Ravens, the Giants, and the Jets in the in the fantasy playoffs, um, <laughs> which we just talked about are, are good matchups. The Ravens may not be the best matchup for the opening round, but the Giants and Jets are two awesome matchups for mm -hmm. the semifinals and finals of fantasy football. Oh, yeah. And more importantly, the Browns are going to be playing, it looks like, for playoff positioning. So I don't think you really have to worry about them uh, letting the foot off the pedal or anything in those weeks uh, – you know, especially against the Jets. I mean, gosh, I mean, that could that could be a fantasy winner right there, that matchup, because ultimately Baker's got to throw the ball to somebody. Even though they don't throw it a lot, they got to throw it to somebody. Um, and Austin Hooper really hasn't established himself in the offense the way that a lot of people expected, uh, you know, coming from Atlanta and that high passing volume offense. I think that the lack of volume to go around has really affected Hooper. Um but Jarvis is all, always uh, very sure-handed, and he's definitely a favorite target of Baker already. So, you know, if he's somebody that's on your roster, congratulations. You have somebody that could potentially win you the, your league this year. Um, if you don't have him and maybe he's on a team that's out of it, uh, you know, if for some reason your trades are still open, um, you know, go out and try to get him. Yep, for sure. I 100% agree. I think that he's got a really good matchup here going into uh, the fantasy playoffs. Let's take a look at another player who popped this week, um, Amari Cooper, uh, who had a great – was probably one of the lone bright, spot, bright spots for Dallas. <laughs> I think it was uh, the thanks. lone bright spot, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to, trying to be positive, not trying to, you know, throw the Cowboys fans completely underneath the bus. But, yeah, he had over 100 yards and a touchdown, the only touchdown, offensive touchdown Dallas scored in that game. Um, so six catches, 112 yards. Um, and also, Andy Dalton really increases Cooper's stock um, yes. for the fantasy playoffs. As long as he can stay healthy, he's looked to Cooper early and often in games, and he's fed him the ball um, pretty consistently. So uh, when you look at the Cowboys' uh, playoff uh, slate, uh, meaning the fantasy playoffs, the Cowboys are not going to the playoffs, um, he – he faces the Bengals, 49ers, and Eagles in week 14, 15, and 16. So he's a solid start the rest of the year, at least for the fantasy playoffs. And with they play the Ravens um, in week 13 here, which I think has now moved to Tuesday night next week with 
all the COVID shifting, everything going on. So um, he's even a solid start in that. And I think Ariana hits the nail on the head here with both of her pop targets, uh, Jarvis Landry and both Amari Cooper. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with those as well. <clears throat> one, one statistic I wanted to bring up because I had it earlier and I just, I, I forgot about it from week 12. These were the leaders in rushing um, from last week. Derrick Henry led the way. He had 178 yards. Nick Chubb, 144. James Robinson, who continues to impress, um, you know, I'm just – I'm so impressed with, with Robinson and what he's been able to do. And that Jacksonville offense to be able to be that efficient from the running back position uh, in an offense that doesn't work. Kudos to you, man. Like, maybe fantasy rookie of the year. Like, unbelievable. Anyways, Latavius Murray, as I had mentioned, I left on the bench. He had 124 yards. But in week 12, Derrick Henry in yards after contact had 124 yards. So yards after contact – Derrick Henry was the fourth leading rusher uh, in the league last year, last week, um, but he had a total of 178. But 124 after contact, after contact, um, Derrick Henry is just a monster. I just wanted to bring that up. There's, you don't need to to, to uh, rebuttal that at, at all. I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I can't believe that I actually forgot about his performance. He had 32 points in fantasy. This is just standard scoring without PPR before halftime in their game last week against the Colts. So, uh, yeah, he had an amazing week last week as well. Um, when we look at some of the players that uh, Ariana wants to shop this week, we've got Colin Johnson, the wide receiver from the Jaguars. Uh, Muhammad Sanu had a, had a little bit of a revival during Thanksgiving for the uh, <laughs> Detroit Lions, his third team now this year uh, that he's played for. Um, and she wants to shop Gabriel Davis. She doesn't uh, believe the Gabriel Davis height – hype even after she's telling us to drop John Brown. So that is, that was definitely interesting, but she makes a good point that you've got Diggs as a top five to seven wide receiver in the game. Cole Beasley is your number one slot receiver. And uh, John Brown is when he comes back, will be the deep threat. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, where there's only so many mouths to feed in the Buffalo receiving core. Um, and for, you know, while the Buffalo off passing game has been good this year, um, and has uh, supported two to three fantasy wide receivers, being able, being able to support four would be quite the task. Now, Davis yeah. did catch a touchdown pass from Cole Beasley last week on a trick play, um, and he had 79 yards and a touchdown with that touchdown. Um, but is he somebody that you think is you would shop, or is he somebody that you maybe would stash a little bit? Well, again, because my strategy changes towards the end of the year if I'm in playoff contention, and I want pieces of good offenses that have good matchups. Um, so for me, again, I already put my position out there at John Brown just because, you know, I'm optimistic and I'm looking at it like, hey, this is someone I might be able to put in a flex on the championship game. But I'm also getting Gabe Davis. So, like, I, I want both of the guys, honestly, because I think Josh Allen's a top-five quarterback in this league. I think that he has shown some really, really, really good football this year. And I'm also a firm believer that we have not seen his best football yet this year. So I think there's going to be some big performances out of that Buffalo offense down the stretch. And I think that, you know, they're going to be motivated because Buffalo, say what you will about it, they are one of the best football towns and fan bases in the NFL. And Josh Allen feeds into that. And you know that Josh Allen, even though we live in a COVID-19 world where there's, you know, little to no fans allowed, but they're going to want that 
uh, home field advantage. So they're going to be playing for, um, you know, probably second place. Um, but I don't think the Steelers end undefeated and the bills have been good enough where if they went out, um, you know, they could be looking at home field advantage uh, through most of the playoffs. So um, I, I want a piece of Gabriel Davis. I want John Brown. I love Stefan Diggs. I love everybody in that receiving core uh, because I think Allen really maximizes everybody's potential. Yeah, I I think that you're, I think you're on the right track with it. I, I think it's obviously it's tr- tough to trust Davis when John Brown comes back, but with him being the third wide receiver, I think that he definitely uh, has good matchup startability, especially against Denver and, and New England late in the playoffs. So if he's if you're thin at wide receiver, he's you could definitely do worse by um, by uh, starting someone other than Gabriel Davis. So. Um, I think that's, I think she kind of hit the nail on the head with a lot of the players this week. Um, Moving on to, let's kind of go over, I guess, a little bit of DFS uh, um, recap from uh, the week 12 slate. So we put out our NFL DFS uh, article on Fridays. It usually drops and we cover um, the Monday, uh, the Sunday games, the Monday games, the possible Tuesday and and now this week the Wednesday games as well are included in that <laughs> pretty so, soon by the end of the year we're going to have a game every day of the week so it's going to exactly, be like exactly exactly so football every day um, so what we put together this week um kind of what we've done the last few weeks is we put together a team that you can just kind of plug and play on um in the site on FanDuel um so quarterback this week we went with Josh Allen I thought that they were going to have a, a a big shootout game against the high-powered uh Chargers offense with um, with Justin Herbert, but um, really Allen kind of took a backseat to the running game, and that's been kind of the more frustrating thing. Is it's just it's hard to project how these game flows are going to go. He did have a, a passing touchdown. He could have had a, a second if uh, if other than the Cole Beasley trick play, um, which he got the passing touchdown to Gabe Davis, and he also had a rushing touchdown. So he had eighteen to twenty uh, fantasy points this week, which is respectable. But it's not top five money worth, which was what we spent on him this week. And probably the biggest misstep of the week, we took Dalvin Cook. First time I've ever recommended taking the top paid player in DFS. Um, but he had he, – I mean, he's just been on a tear this week. He had a really good matchup against the Panthers. Yeah. And what happened, he had like seven points. He had so, no touchdowns, which is an oddity. No touchdowns and a rarity for, this what, year. the first time since like 2005, I think, maybe. You know what I mean? So <laughs> – since his, pop order days. Since his yeah. pop order days that he was a lineman. Exactly. So um, we also went with Jonathan Taylor. And, and on Saturday, Jonathan Taylor was put on the COVID list. So he got a zero points this week. So that was pretty brutal. Um, can't really, I guess, account for that. I mean, it's tough with COVID and, um, you know, how quick these guys can be go from playing to not playing just because of a positive test or close contacts, contract tracing, those type of things. Um, yeah, it's tough. Um, so we also, wide receiver wise, we got, we got beat up this week, Matt. I apologize to the people who uh, put some money on this lineup. Um, we had Curtis Samuel because we spent so much money on Dalvin cook. We had Curtis Samuel, Michael Pittman jr. And Sammy Watkins. And I think between the three of them, they scored maybe 10 total points this week. So, um, and Samuel had about, I think Samuel was, had seven of those 10. So, um, unfortunately, was a rough week from that standpoint. I will say the one bright spot we had, we had we we picked Dallas Goddard this week. He was at a really good price at 6,200. He converted a touchdown, had 70 yards. So 
he had a, a, about 23 points when you account for the PPR points. Um, and the Packers defense too, we uh, had another uh, a hit there. They pretty much beat up on the, on the uh, bears uh, had a, had a uh, defensive touchdown, uh, a couple interceptions, a couple uh, fumble recovery, I believe in, in four or five sacks. So ended up being one of the better defensive plays this week. Um, Don't beat yourself up too bad, Brad, because you missed one in there that was a good one, and that was David Montgomery running back of the Chicago Bears. He was priced at 6000 last week on FanDuel, um, and, and he did actually have a decent game. Uh, he had 143 total yards and a touchdown, so um, for, for 6000 on FanDuel, that's pretty good value there. Yeah, and, and again, it was kind of maybe a little bit confusing why you would pick a Chicago player, but then also pick the. the <laughs> I was confused when I saw it because you know my disdain for Chicago and that team. Yeah, but if you look at the way the Packers have defended the run the entire year, and you look at running backs scoring against the Packers, it was a really, it was I, in my opinion, I thought it was a higher floor play than some of those other players that are around the six six thousand fifty eight hundred fifty nine hundred um, price point. So it worked out this week, but obviously we got pretty much destroyed by uh, the top of the lineups production. Um, and th this lineup this week was not winning anybody money. So maybe we owe uh, our viewers a few, uh, our listeners, I guess I should say, a, a few beers um, from uh, that type of advice. But we'll, you know, our uh, week 13 article is going to drop this Friday. We're going to try to redeem ourselves a little bit this week with some of the uh, um, uh, picks and the lineup that we put out for you. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's just it's it's been a tough year. There's been some really good weeks and some really weeks that just kind of have been bad just because of game flows and COVID and um, games being played on Wednesdays. You know, just can't win them all, I guess. No, you can't. We do the best we can. That's all we can do. Well, yeah. Brad, it's that time again. It is that time. I want to thank you all for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. Go to FindBet.com to check out all of our newest content this week where you can find out who to drop, who to shop, and who popped in fantasy football this week, DFS lineup recommendations, and betting advice for week 13 of the NFL. Remember to follow us on Twitter at FindBet underscore news and on Instagram at FindBet, just one word, to know when all of our newest content hits FindBet.com. Brad, any parting words of wisdom for our audience? Uh, you know, I just enjoy hopefully a relatively COVID-free week of uh, NFL games and uh, definitely we'll be tuning in to the Wednesday afternoon football game um, this <laughs> afternoon, so... Uh, but other than that, you know, like I said, NFL DFS will drop on Fridays and we've got all the betting advice and fantasy advice you need for your week 13 matchups coming up here. So stay with us. That's right. It's week 13. Spooky, scary. It's going to be a week where uh, some playoff aspirations are fulfilled probably and and some more teams are going to be able to be crossed off the list of uh, contenders for the 2020 season. But um, thanks again for joining us on the catch. And until next time, may the waivers always be in your favor, my friends. Goodbye. <laughs>